Welcome to part two of Sixers Daily. I'm your host, Jazz Kang. If you didn't catch part one, that is up wherever you get your fix. It was with Paul Hudrick kind of talking about the big picture stuff involving the Sixers before they took on the lowly Indiana Pacers. Pretty interesting game this one was. Before we jump into it, as I mentioned off the top, don't forget, subscribe to the Liberty Ballers Podcast Network. And also don't forget to check us out at libertyballers.com. Jackson Frank joining me for this one. Jackson, some good in this game. Joel Embiid, Tyrese Maxey, the overall outside shooting. Some bad, though, too. Let's start Let's start with the good. Joel Embiid, 45 points, 13 rebounds, overtakes LeBron right now for the top scorer in the NBA. When you're looking at how dominant Joel is and how the Pacers really, just without Miles Turner and without really any size, couldn't match up with him, but what is the one aspect of his game that you've seen so much growth in? Like, there was a couple of post-ups that he had in the second quarter in the, in the first half one in the first one in the second that up and under that they showed a couple of times that really showed me like a Hakeem like move and then also he had this one where he did this like old school Keon Clark like backwards lane where he caught it at the rim had his guy seal blow him when you look at Joel's growth how much has he impressed you so far this season yeah I think the biggest thing that even dates back to last year is he just has way more avenues to put them all in the basket than he did you know, two or three years ago. I um, mean, he's talked about that extensively, you know, after the bubble last year or two years ago, um, he and his training group and, and whatnot kind of wanted to find ways to diversify his scoring arsenal. And, and he's done exactly that. You know, he had a, he had a cut for a bucket. He had a couple of you know drives from, from kind of coast to coast that we've seen this year, as you mentioned, those couple of plays with his footwork and kind of the way he's so nimble, um, you know, hit a couple of threes. Obviously one of those threes was kind of ridiculous, but I think yeah. that, still him him being comfortable shooting off the dribble from that far out is something that he's got he's gotten better at so um just all the different ways he can score and how it didn't have to he didn't just have to kind of ground and pound his way to those 45 points if he had to i'm sure he could have because as you said the six or the pacers are just very ill-equipped with their limited front line to slow him but um that can be tax taxing so then it can be a little he can be a little more finesse based um not put as much wear and tear in his body i think that's you know maybe one of the reasons he's been able to you know, play 66 games, which is a career high. And if it weren't for him, you know, having a breakthrough COVID case since he's vaccinated, I think he's, you know, he said he's vaccinated. We might be looking at him playing 75, 76 games, which would be a massive career high. So um, just the biggest thing is he has way more opportunities and avenues to put the ball in the hoop now the last couple of years. And that's what's fueled him from going from being a top seven, eight player to a guy who was, you know, in the, in the thick of the MVP race back to back years. And that's a really, really impressive, impressive accomplishment, regardless of it, you know, bears any actual trophy uh, for him. Yeah. And we're going to have to, we're going to have to see, cause I mean, again, you know, Ramona Shelburne on to NBA today, but she said, Hey, I would vote for Joel right now. And she is a voter. And, and you've heard this from some people. You've also heard that they're going to go with Jokic. You're going to hear, you heard about people going for Giannis. So I think this is going to be one of the few years where you're going to be, some people are going to be surprised by the end result in terms of who takes home the award. As I mentioned, good. Tyrese Maxey shot the ball great, had seven three-pointers in the first half. That's the most by any sixer in history to hit over to over a couple of quarters, uh, finished eight of 11 from deep. And again, I mean, the Sixers put up 131 points, one 131 to 122. They had a franchise record 23 threes in this one. The Pacers, let's be real, have stunk defensively over the last little while, so I'm not going to sugarcoat it. But when you're looking at how good this Sixers offense looked, especially in that second quarter, Jackson, where they put up 49 points on an NBA team, and that's no easy feat regardless of how bad the competition is. What do you think was going right for Philly during that little 12-minute stretch there in the second? 
Yeah, I mean, I think I don't know how I don't I don't have have the minutes for you know, exactly, but I think some of it, just the general long, you know, just game long performance, is kind of the proof of why you go get a guy like James Harden because he I mean he didn't score a ton, and I'm not saying he was incredible or anything. Um, the whole team was fairly lackluster defensively, including him, but. The passing, he, the passes he can make, whether it's the skip passes or finding Joel and Stroud on the roll, that was pretty key to the Sixers scoring 131 points and having an offensive rating of nearly 130, um, you know, in this one. So that, that's why you go get a guy like James Harden because you know I've talked about it, you know, where it's on this podcast, or other podcasts are written about it a little bit. Like one of their issues, you know, for a couple of years or three years was not having much, you know, very good half court passing, and that's where James Harden excels is that sort of thing, especially out of pick and rolls. So. Um, that's what stood out to me. Obviously, Tyrese Maxey's shooting growth um, is phenomenal. T- Tobias Harris getting even more comfortable, mm-hmm. you know, over the last month or so, maybe kind of dating back to that Nets uh, game that they got routed in. I think he's shooting forty-one or forty percent from three since Harden, you know, became a Sixer, or I should say, since Harden, you know, entered the lineup. Uh, his three-point rate's way higher since Harden into the lineup too. I know that's always kind of been a point of contention with him. Like, is he going to take that three? Is he going to attack off the catch? He's been letting it fly more as of late. So um, just Harden's passing, Maxi's shooting growth, and, you know, Harris's further adaptation to a, to a role that, you know, asks him to change up his habits offensively. And to his credit, he's, you know, he's doing his best, and he's playing pretty dang, pretty dang good basketball as of late. Yeah, and honestly, that at that point, James Harden, for if you're wondering, had 11 points, 14 dimes in this one. So not a great shooting night, only took 10 attempts. But uh, given what Maxi was doing, Tobias Harris looked really, really good. He hit five to six three-point attempts, uh, looking a lot more comfortable on the catch and shoot as well. And I'm almost, it's almost getting to a point now, which wasn't happening for me earlier in the season, where when Tobias is getting it in a catch and shoot situation, that I'm actually like, he's going to make it. Like your first instinct is, all right, this is going to look good. So good to see from him as well. He's been hovering around that 17 to 20 point mark for the last couple of months and seems to be finding his footing with Harden again, probably not worth 36, 37 million dollars, but at least he's contributing that on a consistent basis. Now, Jackson, let's get to the bad <laughs> because <laughs> the facers a team with virtually no high-end talent other than Tyrese Halliburton, but Buddy Heald, a great shooter as well. They did get Sixers' uh, favorite TJ McConnell back uh, for this game. But looking at it, like, how were they able to put up 122 points on the Sixers? Because if you look at it, Philly gave up 31 in the first, 40 to this squad in the third, which allowed the Pacers to get back in this game because Indy was down by 23 at half. So when you're looking at what the Sixers are doing defensively, how are they going to be able to remedy that now with what less than, you know, five days to go in the, in the regular season, six days, per, pardon me, five days to go uh, in the regular season. And then you got the playoffs coming up pretty much a, a week and a half from now. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's remarkable. This team is top 10 defensive rate, honestly, and maybe I just have selective bias, but their, their lack of cohesion is pretty startling for a team that's top 10. I know top 10 doesn't mean you're like elite, but you gotta be doing something right most nights, right? Like to, to be top 10 defensive rate. I think they're, I think they entered the Pacers game ninth. So um, obviously some of that speaks to Joel, um, Matisse Thibel, um, and whatnot, but um, they're just not cohesive. The, 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 the Pacers are in a lot of pick and pops up out of ball screens and the Sixers don't have many guys who officially navigate screens. And if you can't, if you can't get around that screen quickly, like you should probably just peel back to the roller or the popper because you should feel okay with Joel kind of holding down the fort, containing the ball. Danny Green was a big culprit of that. Maxi a few times. I think Tobias struggled a little bit on the ball as well. Um, they don't switch very, very efficiently either. Um, kind of the gold standard I've cited a lot recently this year, at least would be a team like the Celtics or the Suns. 
Um, there's never kind of a hiccup that the Sixers are always trying to kind of figure out like, like we're not, we're not full on switching everything one through four. Like sometimes they show with George Niang in a ball screen. There was a play in the, in the game tonight where um, I think in the first half, maybe the first quarter where like there was a Maxi or Harden and Niang were involved in the screen and Niang thought he was showing Harden thought he was switching and they let up an open three. So it's just, it's just things like that. Like, and I know that like integrating like Harden is going to take some time to kind of figure out their tendencies, but you would expect with guys like Joel and Maxi and, and Danny and Tobias, like these guys that play together now for at least a couple of years or even Matisse, like you would have that kind of down on a string and they just don't. And, but sometimes they do, which is really weird. Like, you know, we kind of talked, maybe we talked to the starter before we started recording, like they get, they buckled down for about four minutes in that third, in that fourth quarter when things were cut to about a four point lead for the Sixers and just built it back to 10, 12 points and that was the game. And, and you see it at other times, a game, a game like the Bulls a few weeks ago when Embiid was great. Um, that game against the Heat maybe two months ago when Embiid was masterful. Like there are, there are flashes of it, but it's never consistent. And so it's just really weird. You'd think at this point with a fairly familiar roster, they'd have it down, but they don't. And as you said, we're only a week and a half out from these games really, really, really mattering, even though they still matter, you know, given the, the, the playoff, the, the closest of the playoff race like three from two through four. Yeah, of course. And this team, as we've said several times, is going to be judged not by where it finishes in the regular season standings, but how it does in the playoffs. And, you know, fast forwarding to that now, Jackson, we mentioned, you know, just three games left in the regular season. They'll get going on either the 16th or the 17th. We don't know yet when they're going to play on that Saturday or Sunday. But looking at this again, like Danny Green was expected to be a guy who makes some shots, timely shots, three three pointers, especially, and brings this defensive energy that he's been known to, you know, have throughout his career. And, and at the very least, maybe not a lockdown defender, but a pretty damn good, you know, perimeter defender. And we're not seeing that. And you're looking at the DeAndre Jordan minutes again, against somebody uh, against a team like the Pacers where nobody on the squad even came up to his chest. You know what I mean? There's like no ex- reason why. And he still finished a minus 11 and he's not having much of a impact on the defensive end. Although he did finish some lobs, grabbed a few rebounds. When you're looking at this, and, and I was thinking this during during the game here, Jackson, like to me, the biggest problem with the Sixers is inconsistency, mm-hmm. right? Like you you can't, you're not going to be able to to play like this in a seven game series, two or, th- you know, once or twice, even uh, maybe three times against a team like Brooklyn or Boston or Miami. They're just going to kill you for it if you go through stretches like that. So when you're looking at especially the bench guys and, and like Matisse Thibel, Another thing, yeah, he's a, he's a great uh, on-ball defender, very active, gets his hands in the lane, you know, in terms of getting some steals, gets a lot of deflections, but 0 for 5 from the field again today, had those couple of missed lay-ins, and, and you're looking at this for, is the, the coaching staff's perspective, like, what do you think they could do? And I was I, I started doing a deep dive when the Sixers were up at like 20 in the second, and you're looking at Thibault's numbers, like, you know, obviously teams are just leaving him on an island when, when the Sixers have the ball. He's 48% of his ta- total attempts come from beyond the three-point line. Again, not ideal for a guy who shoots around 31%, although he does make 38% from the corner. But, like, what can the the coaching staff, if anything at this point, can they do to maybe look at, okay, let's make an adjustment here with Matisse where we're getting him some more open cuts or somebody setting him a back screen so at least he's flashing to the hoop to, to shoot within three feet where he's been pretty money inside, although most NBA players are. Uh, you're looking at somebody like DeAndre Jordan. Do we maybe give a guy like Paul Reed some run and see if he could bring it? Like, Is there anything that you think Doc and the coaching staff can adjust with what they have right now that's going to maybe help the Sixer, Sixers mask some of this inconsistency? Uh, yeah, I mean... 
it's, it's interesting timing because I, you know, I wrote today about the Sixers' lack of kind of a fifth trustworthy closer as being one of their biggest issues, and some of that speaks to Matisse. At this point with Matisse, I don't, I don't know what the solution is. Like, you know, the, the common comp that people threw around when Harden came, you came to town was Bruce Brown. But Bruce Brown can put the ball on the floor way more than than Harden than Matisse. Excuse me, he has a much better kind of touch from floater range. Mm-hmm. Um, that comp just isn't there, and so. I don't know what the solution is. There was one play early in the game that I noted where they ran the Sixers ran a pick and roll, and Matisse was in the dunker spot, and he kind of his defender was able to kind of muck things up. And then Matisse floated to the corner, got a wide open three, and missed it. And it's just like that that felt emblematic of like what are you supposed to do, right? If you can, if you can't help things in the dunker spot and you can't capitalize on a wide open spot up three in the corner, where I think he's actually been okay this year. Like what? Like how do you? There's only so much a coaching staff can do, right? They can't magically give him you know, great touch from eight feet and they can't magically make him a 40% three point shooter from the corner to the 35% above the break. Like, I don't, I don't know what the solution is. And I think that just speaks to this team's there's no one to like play there reliably at the, the, that fifth starter spot. They almost have to platoon it, but none of those, none of the options are great because when you try and play George Yang and Tobias Harris, you get real slow and, and help and on the perimeter and defending the space. And you can't play Danny very much because just at this point, his the injuries that he's, he's suffered the last few years have really sapped him of any sort of lateral mobility and, and you know capacity to navigate screens effectively. So um, obviously Matisse feels like the highest upside of those three just because he does have the defensive playmaking and we've seen him be an all-defensive team player before. I don't think he's performed at that level this year, but it's you know clearly only a, a, you know, a year removed. So I don't know what the answer is. And it's something that they're going to have to address. And I don't know if there is an ability to address how the trade line. I know that obviously they were trying to you know figure out the James Harden thing, which is more important than the fifth starter, but um, that's clearly a hole in this team. That's something that Daryl Moore and company are going to have to address. If they, like, I don't, regardless of how the season goes, like they're just working with such a deficit so often that, I, that it's, it's just so tough. Harden and Maxi and Harris and Joel have to be so perfect. Like in so many of these, and it puts more pressure on doc and we know doc has his own issues. So um, it really kind of pervades into everything and, and kind of very much decreased their margin for error. And I don't know what the answer is with Matisse beyond him really transforming his game offensively or finally commanding respect, you know, as a shooter. And that, that's something that takes time, right? You can be a 38% three-point shooter, but it takes time for defense to really reshape how they guard you on that end. Hey, Jackson, does Doc have issues? I don't, I don't know. Does he? <laughs> no, but uh, yeah, this is, I mean... Again, the more you you've seen this squad play, and now it's it's been you know basically six or seven weeks since since Harden was integrated into the lineup after the trade, and you're kind of looking at this and saying, okay, what is the major problem here? Well, to me, it's it's been consistency, and we know what the issues are. We know the non Embiid minutes are especially a concern on the offensive end, um, you know, and and defensively he's been their anchor, and so you know losing Ben Simmons in that regard, again, you had to make that move, and and you got a, an all world offensive talent in terms of his career in Harden, but that defensive loss that they've had by moving Simmons, who wasn't going to come back anyways, obviously uh, still kind of looks to be an issue for this team and and the lack of athleticism, especially on the wing uh, also might come back and bite this team in the rear end. I want to take a short break here, Jackson, talk about some of the big picture stuff, not a ton of movement in the standings, although a bunch of the teams in the East were playing today. Uh, We do have some in terms of, we know that the Raptors are in the Nets won. We'll tell you how the Cavs did a bunch of that after a short break. All right, Jackson, we're back. Mentioning now the standings. Three games left to go with the win. The Sixers pull even with the Celtics on 
wins. So they're both 49 and 30. The Bucs, while we're recording this, uh, up pretty comfortably on the Bulls late in the fourth quarter. So all three of those teams are going to be at 49 and 30. Of course, a big showdown between Milwaukee and Boston on Thursday. The Sixers in a pretty good spot here where if they win all three of the remaining games, they have a tough one in Toronto on Thursday before taking on the Pistons and the, and the Pacers to close out the season in a back-to-back on Saturday, Sunday. If they win all three, they secure the three seed. So now looking at it, the Raptors likely going to be a full game up on the, on the Bulls coming up here. Again, the Bulls down by almost 20 to the Bucks late. So you got the Raptors as the five seed. Milwaukee or Boston, whoever loses that game on Thursday, likely falls down to number four. And again, as, as I mentioned, if the Sixers take care of business, they'll be at number three. But looking at, at the at the play-in and the standings in the East, you got Cleveland at seven. Brooklyn overtook uh, Atlanta and uh, pardon me, just Atlanta and Charlotte as well, actually, and jumped into eight. So those two teams are, are jockeying for that home play-in date. Uh, could be Brooklyn as well because the Nets play have one extra game than the, than the Cavs do, and those two, te- those two teams do play each other uh, later on this week. And then you got the Hawks and the Hornets. Overall, I know you said that you know you're not a fan of maybe trying to avoid matchups, but if you're looking at it for from a Sixers perspective. What is the position you think is the best possible spot for them to be in in terms of a first round matchup? Because for me, I'm like, if things play out the way they are right now, where you got the Raptors uh, at five and, and Chicago at six, number three's got to be the uh, ideal spot for the Sixers to finish it. No? Yeah. I, well, yeah. I mean, I think I think three three is that spot, right? I mean, I, I it seemed. I mean, I know there's you know the Nets have played one fewer game than the Cavs um, and whatnot. Um, they've got their own issues, but yeah, three seems like that spot. Um, you know, the Bulls have had a really nice year, but it seems like the wheels are kind of falling off. Doesn't seem like Lonzo's going to come back, and he's really crucial to them. You know, being that top ten defense we saw through through an early portion of the year, um, they just don't have kind of the the players to compensate otherwise on the perimeter and, and whatnot. So, um, I think that's the spot you got you want to be. The the Raptors, um, you know, they've got they've got a couple of stars and Pascal Siakam and Fred VanVleet. The the latter has been you know, kind of dealing with some injuries and not as consistent as it was, you know, in right to an all-star appearance, but um, they've got that. They've got guys who've been there before. Um, we know kind of the creativity that Nick Nurse operates with. He's clearly a better coach than Doc Rivers, I think, based on the the evidence we've seen, whereas I don't know if you feel like that with Billy Donovan. Um, you know, DeMar DeRozan has his own struggles in the playoffs. I think, I don't think necessarily the Sixers have the personnel to slow him down. What you usually need is kind of someone who can kind of get into Namar's handle, a big wing, move around with him, get him away from those, those spots he likes in that, in that mid range area. Um, so I don't want to kind of just say though, he's a, he's a guy who struggled in the playoffs. That means he would again, but um, I think you just, you just trust the Raptors more in the playoffs than you do the bulls. And um, obviously you, you would, the nets with their superstars uh, uh, and we've seen kind of how they can turn it on a little bit defensively at times um our team you would prefer you wouldn't prefer to the bulls so i think three is definitely that spot you want to be um but really i think four would be this just the, the main spot you want to avoid like i i think the nets you know, talk about consistency right the nets are clearly not a, not a pillar of that either um so while i'm not saying i prefer you the Sixers should prefer to play the raptors over the nets necessarily you know i think there's a chance that you get a couple of stinkers from the nets or you know things things go awry with them and and whatnot, and maybe play the Cavs. Maybe the Cavs, you know, Garland blows up for 40 points in that seven eight game, and they're, they're seven seed. So, um, I definitely just I would just more frame it as not necessarily trying to get two or three, but just looking to avoid four because it seems increasingly likely that's where the Raptors are going to end up. And, um, their team is playing good ball, and they've got they've got guys who've been there before, and a coach has been there before, and that's 
um, that's a good spot to be if you're the Raptors. Hey, it was funny, Jackson, like throughout most of my adult life, the Eastern Conference has stank. You know what I mean? So it's been like, you don't really care. And, and you know, what I'm saying, like, oh, the, the Sixers would prefer to play. I'm not saying the Bulls are a bad team. They've won 45 games for a reason. It's that that's just the preferable matchup. And as you mentioned, you're going to have the Cavs who, if they can get Jared Allen back, you know what I mean? Get uh, Evan Mobley totally healthy. And, and you know, as you mentioned, they have Darius Garland. They got a bunch of these good players that they're going to give you a run for the money. The same thing goes with a team like the Hawks, who we assumed going into last year's second round that the Sixers should be able to handle. And we saw what happened there. And even the Hornets where, you know, you got LaMelo Ball. Uh, they got these young guys that, that can at least give you a, a, a run for your money not like it used to be you know especially in the in the 2000s and as we got to the earlier part of the previous decade which is well whoever finishes one two and three likely gonna gonna whoop their opponents in the first round and and, and looking at this i mean the heat now pretty much in in the driver's seat should be able to 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 sew up the number one spot they got orlando i believe in their season finale so that should be an easy one for the heat but when you're looking at that boston milwaukee matchup coming on coming up on thursday who do you like there yeah, I mean that's tough. I think, like, I think I got I got off the Bucks just you know given the fact the Celtics are without Robert Williams. I know they've kind of righted the ship after a small little lull, um, but I think Williams is is so key to maybe them being able to at least contain Giannis a little bit with him playing kind of that freelance that freelance safety roamer role that he's really excelled at this year. Um, I worry about the offense somewhat without that lob threat that Robert Williams provides. You saw that really come into play um, when they lost the Heat last week, so. Um, I'll go Milwaukee, but the Bucks have been kind of a, a team that has turned it on and off at times, and they've they've have earned that luxury given you know they're the reigning champs. So um, I'll, I'll go Bucks, but um, who knows? Who knows kind of what the Bucks are angling for, who they want to play, um, you know what they're doing. But I'll just I'll go with that team. I know they've lost two. They'll, they'll, well, they're about to win, but they've lost two in a row. But um, I just think they're, you know, they're, they're better. They're better than the Celtics without Robert Williams. If Robert Williams is in the lineup, obviously he's not, um, but in a hypothetical series, I don't know who I'd pick, but I'll give Milwaukee here. I just kind of trust them a little more given who's available for each team. But, uh, but who knows the bucks have been kind of weird with when they, when they, when they lock in who plays, who doesn't play sometimes, but I'll, I'll go with Milwaukee uh, right now. Yeah, and that's going to be actually. I'm really looking forward to watching that game. Just the the level that those teams are playing, as you mentioned, the the Robert Williams thing does hurt the Celtics. But again, they're uh, you know that's th those are two of the best teams in the NBA, and I think the Sixers right there as well. Uh, final one for you. We talked about a little bit before the break. We're down to really. I mean, not we're into the final week of the regular season. Only a few games left here through Sunday. Who's your MVP? If you had to rank it from three, two to one, how how, how would you how would you sort that whole thing out? Oh man. Yeah. That's tough because we're kind of getting down to where is, you know, how much more, how much do these games really matter that much. Right. Mm -hmm. um, I think right now where I've landed and it's, it's really tough. It's something that's been really fluid throughout the last three or four months. But right now I think I'm at Jokic, Giannis and Embiid. And I know Sixers fans aren't going to like that. And it's weird coming as someone who's been a staunch Embiid fan for years now. And I like you know, Giannis and Jokic as well, but I just, I just, I just marvel at what Jokic has done this year. Is like his scoring, his passing. I don't, I know his defense isn't as good as Joel's, but I think it's, it's better than it's been. He's a little more mobile than he's been in previous years. He's got great hands, great rebounder. Um, you know, I think defensively, that's probably the area he has. I think he's a better rebounder than Joel. Um, so that's where I kind of give him the edge. And then Giannis first Embiid is tough. Um, both great scorers. Giannis has been a little more efficient, but he's also maybe had a better surrounding cast for most of the year. I think he's been a little bit more consistent defensively. Joel has kind of, he's been a little more, 
I don't know what the word, like he, you can tell that there's kind of a level he likes to go to at times and all the time. Giannis can be the same way, but I think his kind of median is higher, but it's really tough. I have no issue in it with any order. My biggest thing is just, I, I think it's, I just don't want anyone to be kind of to be pigeonhole other guys into that. That's that conversation. I think you can celebrate a guy having an awesome season without saying, is he an MVP candidate? Does he belong in the race? No, it's been these three for, for like 70% of the year. Uh, and you can't go wrong in any order. Uh, but I, that's, that's kind of where I'm at with Jokic, Giannis, then Embiid. But again, it's, you, you could be, draw all those three names that I've had. Just don't put anyone else, anyone else's name in the hat and I'll be good. Well, you know what, Jackson, uh, I feel sorry for you because you might get some hate on, on Twitter or social media for making that comment, but I'm with you. It's going to come down to those three. Um, again, I, I love what I've seen from, from Joel. I think if you take him off the Sixers and let's say he only played in 20 games this year, I, I think the Sixers are down to somewhere out of the play-in at least with the roster they had most of the season. But you could say the same thing about Denver, obviously missing Michael Porter Jr. and Jamal Murray. And then Giannis is the star that stirs a drink in, in Milwaukee. So again, uh, it's going to be fun to find out. I, I, as I said before, it's like the first time in a while where you're going to have a lot of drama and uncertainty uh, going into when we figure out who the NBA, NBA MVP is. Let's wrap things up there, Jackson. Don't forget, subscribe to the Liberty Ballers Podcast Network. As I mentioned, you can follow us pretty much anywhere you get your podcast fix. And of course, always appreciate a five-star review. And Jackson, Paul Hudrick, Tom West, Sean Kennedy, Steve Libman, the entire crew has you covered at libertyballers.com.